When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pittsburgh Steelers fans, it is time once again for another edition of the Curtain Call Podcast. My name is Michael Beck, your deputy editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Joined with my co-host, as always, one Mr. Jeffrey Benedict. Jeffrey, how are you doing tonight, sir? Doing great, Michael. Doing great. Love it. And as always, through our off-season series here, breaking down draft prospects uh, from across all the big schools as we venture into the off-season. We have a special guest uh, helping us break down the Georgia Bulldogs, Mr. Connor Riley. Connor, how are you doing tonight, sir? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing pretty well. Awesome. It, it is our pleasure to have you on, to say the least. I think the, the most interesting name that I think everyone wants to talk about right now is Jordan Davis. Um, putting on a show at the Combine, setting a record for broad jump amongst 300-pounders, which is insanity. Running a 40-yard dash faster than half the quarterbacks in the NFL ran it. Uh, just an athletic specimen. Weight. I think he topped the scales at over 340 pounds. Just insane what he was able to do at the combine and of course being a leader on that uh, Bulldogs defense. Can you break down his game and uh, whether or not uh, his athleticism is going to be something that kind of pushes him into that kind of all pro stratosphere potentially in the NFL? Yeah. I mean, I I, taking you behind the curtain here a little bit. I had a pre-write ready to go that he was going to run a sub five forty. I was not surprised by the sort of speed there and the get off that he has. I think the big thing, you you touch on his weight there, him weighing in at 340. He didn't play at that weight at Georgia. He was much closer to 350, at sometimes even pushing past 360. I think a big thing for him in the NFL going forward is how he manages his weight. That was sort of a consistent, you know, point of discussion about him at Georgia. And granted, he didn't play, you know, a ton of snaps. I don't think he ever logged more than, say, 40% of snaps in a game this past season. A lot of that had to do with how dominant he was in allowing Georgia to get out to big leads. But I think his NFL future is really going to come down to if he's able to stay consistently at 340 pounds, allow himself to be on the field, you know, first and second down, we'll see if he ever fully develops into a third down player, but he does show some flashes as a pass rusher to where, you know, maybe not an every down player, but a guy who can be impactful when he is asked to do that. Along with just bar none, he was the best run defender in college football. He was an immovable object. And I expect that to transfer to the NFL level. It's just really his ceiling is going to come down to how well he is able to manage his weight. Now, you mentioned that he he didn't really play like over 40% of snaps in any of the games. Uh, and, and I was hearing things where people are saying, you know, oh, he's he's actually doing better this season with better conditioning. And I'm looking, he's, he's playing like less than half a game. Uh, is this a guy who, you know, had this problem? Like, is this a guy whose his problem is – improving is there something he he put together to, to try and fix this problem or is or is like you said this is something he's gonna have to deal with is this a thing that could scuttle his career yeah so it's definitely something that he improved upon from going from his junior year to his senior year I think he definitely made a more noticeable impact this season than perhaps he had in the past and was a I think a more disruptive defender and if you really want to look at what I think were his two best games the Clemson game at the beginning of the season 
in the Alabama game at the end of the year, and you can probably include the Michigan game there as well. He had lengthy breaks there between those games that sort of allowed him to come in in top physical shape. Uh, he mentioned before the national championship game, he was going on a run to do some conditioning, you know, two days before that national title game. We don't hear that a whole, whole lot. Whereas I think you go back and watch the Alabama SEC championship game, which was, you know, Georgia's, I think, six game in six weeks, something that's going to happen every NFL season. He was not in the best shape in that game and the tape really showed that. And so I think with no school, with some of the you know fewer distractions at the NFL level where you're truly able to focus on football every single week, I do think that there's the potential for him to keep this in check. But, you know, as I've sort of said, his NFL ceiling, you know, could he be a Vita Vea? I, th- I certainly think that's the type of person he could be, you know, in terms of being a run stuffer, in terms of just clogging up space there. I know Cam Hayward is a guy that some people have thrown out. He's mentioned himself, John Henderson, as a sort of, you know, pro comp there. If he's going to be those types of players, he's just got to simply stay on the field and make sure that he's playing at around 340 pounds. So really interesting takeaway for me here is how athletic he was at the combine yet struggled condition wise. Is this uh, like, I guess, how do these two things even work out? Was he less athletic during the season or is he just an athletic specimen that gets gassed really easy? I think he's an athletic specimen that gets gas really easy. And, uh, you know, I don't put too much stock into this, but he did only run the 40 once. And, and so you wonder if he had run it again, where would he have come in on that? You know, would it have been, you know, so drastically different than what he had? Obviously, four four seven eight is a fantastic time. But I think if he did want to ease some of those concerns there, maybe you do some of those athletic drills, you know, the, the ones where you're running quite often more more than once there to sort of alleviate some of the concerns. Now, if you had to pick, right, or predict in the future, do you think Jordan Davis is a guy who puts it together and becomes an all-pro at the NFL level? Or is this a guy we look at down the road and say, man, if he had played in like the 80s or 90s, right, like in the 1980s, 1990s, he would have been like the superstar of the league Mm -hmm. then, but he just doesn't fit the game today. It's so tough to, to sort of know and understand, you know, how he's going to be viewed when he's just – I don't think he's going to be an impact pass rusher consistently enough. Now, I think he's going to be a very good player and do his role very well. You know, Snacks Harrison is a guy that sort of comes to mind, a dominant run defender, but a guy who league-wide doesn't necessarily have the acclaim because he doesn't necessarily always rush the pass so well. I do think he's going to be a successful professional football player uh, in covering him and getting to know his story. He has incredible both – off the field character and football character. He's going to be a good teammate. He's going to do all the sort of little things you want to see him do to become a successful football player. But in terms of, you know, pro bowl or all pro, I probably know just given I didn't consistently, we heard year after year, you know, starting in a sophomore year, this is a guy who, wow, he's got a really high ceiling and he just never seemed to really get there from a pass rushing standpoint. And you look at NFL defensive linemen, you know, what makes TJ Watt, what makes Aaron Donald, what makes even, you know, JJ Watt, so to speak, such great defensive linemen. It's not only what they're able to do against the run, but the reason they're household names is because of the sack totals. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're not wrong there. I, I feel like personally, Jordan Davis is either like the your Brian Bosworth or your Aaron Donald, just like an absolute freak or someone that like might fall off the map. So it'll, it'll be interesting to say that the least uh, to follow his career as uh, things go on here. But next guy I want to bring up is Nicobe Dean, um, an, another stud, uh, centerpiece of that defense uh, for the Georgia Bulldogs. Can you talk about his game and what kind of makes him special? 
I got to watch, you know, the Georgia football defense up close last year. I think many consider it one of the best college football defenses of the past, you know, decade or so. If you watch five plays, just five random plays from the Georgia defense, that's about how long it should take you to realize, oh, on a defense full of studs, Trayvon Walker, who I think might be a top 10 pick, Devontae Wyatt, who's worked himself into a first rounder. On that loaded defense last year, Nicobe Dean was far and away the best player. I, I just, some of the things that you see him do, the ground that he covers, he is a standout player in pass coverage. Uh, and that really tracks back to even his freshman year. His instincts are off the charts. Obviously, you know, you want bigger linebackers. I know the New England Patriots, they're, they're looking for sort of monsters there in the middle. Only weighs in at, you know, five, five foot 11, 31 inch arms. He's not physically going to wow, you know, standing next to him in interviews. I'm like, you're roughly pretty close to my size, but with his football intelligence, uh, you know, one of the things he came into Georgia with the comparison to Roquan Smith saying, you know, he's going to be the next Roquan Smith. I actually think he had a better college career than Roquan Smith did. And I think that speaks to just the person he is off the field. This is a kid who could have gone to Stanford coming out of high school. And I, I think he has put it all together. And I think he's going to be a guy who maybe he falls a little bit on draft day because of those size concerns, but he is going to be an absolute stud from day one. Now, we've seen a lot of linebackers come out of college recently that have been top-level athletes, smarter guys, uh, you know, the middle linebacker type that you you want to keep linemen off of them. And Nicobe Dean is in that that category. How does he compare to guys like a Devin Bush, uh, Devin White, Tremaine Edmonds? You know, the, a decent number of these guys who have come out. And they've kind of been good, but they haven't really become breakout names in the NFL like maybe a Bobby Wagner or a Luke Keekley were. Right. I would, you know, I'd even include, say, a Roquan Smith in there, you know, good yeah. players. But for whatever reason, they haven't necessarily turned into the difference maker, you know, the off ball linebacker. I would even say, you know, those guys are a step down from, say, a Darius Leonard or a Fred Warner for the San Francisco yeah. 49ers. And, and I think with Nakobe, what really to me stands out more is I do think he's going to be able to make an impact in coverage and, and his ability to cover both tight ends who are a good bit bigger than him and then also running backs coming out of the backfield. I do think he's a plus player in pass coverage, along with being a plus blitzer. I think he's someone who really showed this year at Georgia. He was effective at getting after the pass rusher, whether it coming off, off of the blitz or a delayed stunt. And I do think that that is going to translate. And really, you know, his success as a third down player, I think in terms of third down stops, which you either, you know, measured as incompletions or tackles short of the first down marker. He was one of the top players in college football in that statistic. And I think going forward, that's something that can allow his game to transfer to the NFL. And will I think maybe allow him to be closer to say the Fred Warner, Darius Leonard types than say the Roquan Smith or Devin Bush types of the world. Now it would be easy uh, to continue chatting on uh, Nakobe Dean, but uh, there's so many prospects from Georgia. Let's just continue to roll on here. Uh, one of the names you mentioned earlier was Trayvon Walker, uh, someone that you mentioned uh, might work his way into being a top ten pick. Even um, I know he's listed an ed edge rusher, and something Jeffrey and I kind of chatted about before. I think on the Steelers' defense, make more sense if you'd be like that three-four uh, defensive end type. Is someone is he someone that could kick inside, or what's his kind of ideal scheme fit? Absolutely. I So I actually think, you know, in terms of upside, maybe as a 4-3 defensive end, that's, you know, his preferred spot. But he played that five technique defensive end spot in a 3-4 defense at Georgia. And I do think that that's something he's shown he can do when he was at, he was asked to do almost everything at Georgia, which is kind of stunning from a defensive end position. You know, set the edge on the outside on first and second down, bump inside to be sort of a 3-2 eye technique. 
pass rusher on third down situations. He is so like seeing him in person. He is so incredibly long and so incredibly well-built easily the best athlete. I think on this Georgia team last year, you know, he had a tip tip pass that went for an interception in the Florida game where he's legitimately 10, 15 yards in coverage down the field. He can do just about everything. I don't know how many 270 pound defensive linemen have played on kickoff teams before, but he was doing that at Georgia as a freshman. And so I think, you know, really his game is upside only six sacks this past season at Georgia, but they asked him to do so much. I think when you get him into an NFL scheme and you simplify his game a little bit, I think it's really going to potentially allow him to take off and be a really productive player. And while some might see him as that four, three edge rusher to sort of allow him to be, you know, an upper tier player. I think he can go in and be a, a, you know, a five technique, three, four defensive end and be a really productive player because that's what he was asked to do at Georgia. And they asked a lot of him, maybe more than anyone on that defense. Okay, real quick, does does he has he played in coverage? Does Jordan not, ever drop him uh, from time to time? Yes, but not consistently enough. Okay, all right. So I, following up on that, uh, Steelers had Melvin Ingram, and when they first got him, they used him where he he did. He played edge, but he would also shift inside, like the Broncos use. Uh, Chargers used him before. Then is mm-hmm. is that a role you could see Trayvon Walker working into where he could play? Uh, an outside linebacker where you could where you could move inside and, and like you said play that five tech spot and kind of on passing situations where you go a four man front. Obviously, he's your defensive end. Like, is he a guy who can play that kind of versatile role in the NFL once he gets like into your defense and has some time? I think so. He is that athletically gifted. Four five one forty thirty five inch ber- vertical jump. I mean, the guy is a creative player on Madden. If you were building a football player, you'd build a Trayvon Walker and. He showed that he was able to do a variety of things at Georgia. And if you have the patience to teach him and he's a willing learner, I I think he is someone who could do a lot of different things for your defense. He's sort of, you know, again, he's not as developed as say Aiden Hutchinson is as an edge rusher right now, or even a Jermaine Johnson, another, uh, you know, former Georgia guy before finishing up at Florida state. But I do think he's a guy who has shown enough that he can do just about anything you ask him to on the football field. Now, continuing to move along the defensive line, Devontae Wyatt, uh, so many studs along that Georgia front. Can, can you compare him to the other guys and uh, what makes him uh, a talent to head into this league? Yeah, Michael, I think you brought up Aaron Donald earlier. And I, you never want to compare someone to maybe the best football player of the past decade. But that's what his game is. What Aaron Donald does well, that is what Devontae Wyatt does well. And they didn't always ask him to, you know, be that Aaron Donald type, especially on an every down basis because they rotate so heavily on the defensive line. But he's a guy who, you know, even in games where, you know, the Georgia defense didn't play well, he showed that he was able to win one-on-one matchups, get to the quarterback, shoot the gap, be that sort of ideal three technique, disruptive player there in the middle. And I think as more people have studied his game and he's shown that he can test well athletically, he's a guy that can do, you know, exactly that, be a disruptive player from the middle of that defense, be a guy that if you ask him to can create pressure, get after the quarterback disrupt running plays and really be a very effective player. He's a very different defensive tackle than say Jordan Davis, who's much more of a space eater, but in terms of that disruptive playmaker in the middle of the defensive line, I think Devontae Wyatt fits that to a T. And that's a big reason why you've seen him shoot up draft boards this off season where, you know, after the season ended, some saw maybe as a second or third round pick. Whereas I believe today, Todd McShay had him as a top 15 overall pick in his mock draft. Moving on again, you mentioned him, Jermaine Johnson. Transfers to Florida State because he's part of a rotation at Georgia and kind of on the lower end of it. And now, like, I'm, he's ACC Defensive Player of the Year. And he's, I'm seeing it in mock drafts in a lot of places have him ranked even or even ahead of 
Trayvon Walker. Uh, what happened there? Is this a guy who just fit better in the ACC and just wasn't as good on Georgia? Or did he really like show something there that he didn't show at Georgia? So I'll actually like when he got a chance to play in 2020, he played really well and he was a noticeable player on the Georgia defense, but the Georgia outside linebackers position in the last two years had been really loaded. Uh, you know, Aziz Ojolari came in, had, I think, eight sacks for the New York Giants this past year. He was eating into his snap, into Jermaine's snap count. Uh, Adam Anderson, a guy who before he got in some legal trouble and was accused of rape, uh, a, a guy who has the athletic ability to possibly be a first-round pick. Nolan Smith was a five-star recruit in, in you know, a, a guy we're going to be talking about a year from now, I think. They were so loaded at the outside linebacker position. They were trying to, you know, keep as many guys happy. And Jermaine said, I want to be an every down player and show what I can do. And, and, show, and he came out and said this to his credit. That's the reason he's leaving Georgia. I want to show that I can be an every down player. And he went to Florida State and absolutely tore up that league. And he fits a lot of the boxes that Georgia's looking for and was a key contributor to that team in 2020. And I think he has shown over the, over the process this past year, going to the senior bowl, playing really well there, that he's going to be a very, very good football player at the next level now that he has show, had the opportunity to do so. Uh, moving on to the next player, and excuse me if I pronounce it wrong, Lewis Sign, uh, safety. Scene. Scene. Damn, yeah. that's close. <laughs> but uh, is he more of a free or strong safety? Is he a deep third guy? Is he a guy that will come down on the run? Uh, how does he play uh, that safety position? So I'd probably say his future projects as a free safety, you know, you know, a center fielder type safety, a guy who incredible range, 6'2", ran a four three seven forty, I think. But he will come up and he will hit you in the mouth. I know there was a play in the Florida game last year where he got ejected for knocking out Kyle Pitts. It was real close to being a clean hit there. And he was easily, I think, the hardest hitter on this Georgia defense this past season. He's a guy who was a safety, I, I think, in studying him and seeing him. You know, you want to see more from him in terms of his deep coverage ability, you know, his ability to break up a pass and say a one-on-one -on -one situation where he's the last line of defense. But he's absolutely going to knock you out in the run. He's a great run defender, has incredible sideline to sideline speed, and is able to make a difference in there. And I think for him as a safety, the only real knock on him that I have is that he's just not Kyle Hamilton. I think in a lot of years, Lewis Seen would be the first safety off the board. But when you have a generational prospect like Kyle Hamilton, it sort of knocks Seen down a bit. But it would not surprise me in the slightest. And I've heard that he's interviewed very well. Doesn't surprise me at all. A very sharp guy. And I think he's a guy who is going to make an NFL team very happy, even if because of the safety position, he ends up going later than he probably should as a football player. All right. To continue this rapid fire, uh, another, another of the linebackers, Quay Walker, uh, he's, he's bigger. Is he, is he more of a guy who can take on offensive linemen? Is he a guy who can stuff the run? And does he bring more versatility or, or would he be better on a team where he could focus on that type of the game, that part of the game? So everything we sort of mentioned about Nakobe Dean, I, I think Quay Walker is the opposite. 6'4", 250 pounds, runs really well there, incredibly long, doesn't quite diagnose plays as well as Nakobe Dean does. So if you're putting in a, him in a system where he's not having to think quite as much as he's just see ball, get ball, I think that would allow him to shine really well. I think he's probably better as a you know first and second down linebacker. I'll be interested to see how he develops as a third down linebacker, but you know, and I'm sure we're going to touch on Channing Tindall well as well, potentially. They were so loaded at linebacker and really that entire front seven, they rotated a lot. So, you know, when it comes to draft stuff, just because you don't see someone do something doesn't mean they can't do something. And I think Quay Walker with his length, you know, his size, you know, you've seen the success that, say, a Fred Warner, a Darius Leonard, I know I mentioned them earlier, they have. They check those length boxes. 
Quay Walker fits that to a T. And so if you think that he's able to drop back in coverage and make the right reads, he's a guy that I think can continue to reach his ceiling and his best football might be ahead of him. Now, just to do a little rapid fire to make sure we can check off some of these boxes and might have to steal a couple more minutes of your time if it's okay. But uh, I want to touch on receiver George Pickens. Um, what what kind of style receiver is he? Uh, is he a big body, small body, athletic, sure-handed? Can, can you break down George Pickens? Yeah, so I'll use a Pittsburgh Steeler guy. I think he's a little bit like, uh, you know, he's probably not as quite versatile in terms of, you know, handing the ball off to him as Chase Claypool. But in terms of being a physical downfield guy, a guy who you just throw up a 50-50 ball to him and he uses his size and his speed. I mean, I, I know he only jumped uh, 33 inches on the vertical jump. But watching him play, there is no ball that he cannot go up and get. And I think, you know, obviously he has the ACL injury a a year ago. The fact that he came out and ran a 4-4-7 surprised a lot of people at Georgia, just given they did not think that he was going to run that fast, not even a full year after his knee injury. Uh, He is a guy who a year ago we all considered a first-round lock. And for him to come back in the the, end of the season, play the SEC championship game, play the national championship game, when he had a legitimate NFL future to worry about, I think says a lot about him and the player that he's going to be. And I mentioned earlier, you know, Jordan Davis being able to focus on just football and not have to worry about the school aspects of it. I think with George, you're really going to see him blossom. And I absolutely believe his best football is ahead of him. I can't say he's better than Chris Olave or say Garrett Wilson, but it wouldn't surprise me if a year or two years from now we're talking about George Pickens as one of the best wide receivers from this class. Okay. On Georgia's offensive line, they're, they're two guards out, yep. uh, Sailor and Schaefer. Yep. Uh, could you, can you tell us what kind of game there are and what kind of schemes they fit? Are they going to be more a power like run blockers? Are they, are they zone blockers? Like, like what kind of schemes are they going to fit? Where are they going to excel? Yeah, so I think Jamari Sawyer is probably more of your 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 man up, you know, straight runaway, man on man, big on big uh, run blocker. He's a guy who played a lot at left tackle for Georgia, but I think he knows, and I think just about everybody following him knows, is going to be a guard at the next level. Is able to move, good athlete, but not necessarily a great one. I think Justin Schaefer is much more of your zone blocking scheme guy, guy whose athleticism is good, but he doesn't necessarily have the great strength that, say, a Sawyer does. That, say, you know, a year ago, Ben Cleveland from Georgia had – but I think both those guys have showed that they can be effective players. And I'll say this about Sawyer. I don't know if that I've met, you know, a more mature, well-thinking, you know, player, a guy that I absolutely is going to be successful at the NFL level than Sage Amari Sawyer. And because of the versatility that he showed at Georgia, if you need him to play left tackle in a pinch, I think he's good enough to do that. But he is a guy who can play along the offensive line. And I think that's going to help make him a very successful NFL football player. Now, just a few more prospects here uh, before we can let you on your way, Connor. Uh, Channing Tindall, you, you brought his name up a little bit earlier. How did he fit in Georgia's linebacker rotation? And uh, if you had to rank these guys, of course, Dean would be at the top. But um, how would you uh, rank all these linebackers? Yeah, so personally speaking, I'd probably go Dean 1, Tindall 2, Walker 3. Uh, Tindall weirdly never started, but he made, he every time he got on the field, you know, even going back sophomore and junior year, Guy just made plays, I think has great sideline to sideline ability. You go back and watch the Clemson game. It's kind of stunning to just see how quickly he closes on players. I also think he brings the ability to, you know, in certain situations, if you want to move him around and have him come off the edge as a pass rusher, I think he can do that there as well. And I think he's a guy who, personally speaking, I think is a little bit more scheme versatile than, say, a Quay Walker is. And I think, you know, because he was playing behind a talented guy in Walker and a talented guy in Dean didn't necessarily get his shine. But I think he, because of his length, because of his speed, is going to be able to do a lot of different things at the next level. 
All right, Darion Kendrick, cornerback. Uh, how, how he he's been called a more of a project. Do you think he's going to take a few years to get to get going? And where would you play him in the defense? Yeah, so he's he's obviously I think an outside cornerback. I think maybe teams might try him in the nickel position, but I'm I'm not quite sure he's fast enough. He's definitely got the mentality to hang up on the outside, but I think if you go back and watch his games at Clemson, you think, or yeah, Clemson, the 2019 national championship game against LSU, uh, Jamar Chase just put on a clinic against him. And then that next year, Garrett Wilson just absolutely roasted him. I do think he struggles a little bit more with some of the speed defenders uh, or speed wide receivers rather, but I do think he's a physical player. He's got a good eye for the football four interceptions this past year at Georgia. And if you're not asking him to defend the say fastest player, or one of the faster players on the defense, I do think he's got the length and size and ball skills to really hold up and be a productive NFL cornerback. He's not going to be, you know, a number one lockdown guy. I don't think he's going to be an Eric Stokes type out of Georgia last season, but I do think he's a guy who he's played a ton of football. He's played in winning locker rooms before, he knows what it takes. I think he grew a lot this past year at Georgia after getting dismissed from Clemson. And I do think he's a guy that in the right situation can help a winning team continue to win. Okay. One last player for you, I think here, uh, James Cook, younger brother, younger brother, excuse me, of Dalvin Cook of uh, the Minnesota Vikings, of course. Uh, does he compare to his big brother at all? And where do you kind of foresee him ending up in the NFL? And would he be a more of a role running back or is he someone that could carry the load? So I'd say be careful in comparing him to his brother uh, just because I don't think he has the every down durability at the next level to be able to do so. I actually kind of think his game might be a little bit more similar to say an Alvin Kamara, a guy who has the speed, an incredible pass catcher, a guy who if you get him in a linebacker and Georgia did this multiple times against big name opponents like Alabama and Michigan, if you have him on a linebacker, that's an easy 50 yard play for Georgia. I, I think he has shown incredible speed, great pass catching. He's actually probably a little bit better running between the tackles and maybe he got credit for in his time at Georgia. And I think he's a guy who, you know, you may never ask him to carry the load, say like Christian McCaffrey does for the Carolina Panthers, but a guy who, if he goes to the right offensive coordinator, who's committed to using him in correct ways, I think he can be a really big difference maker at the next level. I can jump in with one last question. Yep. Put on your prediction hat. Does Georgia get six players in the first round? No, I think they're going to get four. I think it's going to be Trayvon Walker first, Devontae Wyatt second, Jordan Davis third, N'Kobe Dean fourth. Mm. I think maybe the, I think maybe the fifth could be Lewis seen there sneaking in at the end of the first round, but I think they're going to get four players in that first round. But it would not surprise me if they get five potentially, and I think you could see eight guys from this team, maybe even nine off in the first two rounds. Great stuff. Connor, before we let you go, is there anything you want to plug for the people? Yeah, you guys can follow me online at Twitter at KConnorRiley, C-O-N-N-O-R for how you spell Connor there. We've got a ton of stuff on the draft coming up. You know, it was a banner weekend this past weekend for Georgia. They've got the pro day next week. And I expect it to be a, a very big NFL draft for the University of Georgia. So we will have tons of content on there. And I'm sure a Pittsburgh Steeler uh, will come from the University of Georgia. Well, the right things are going. About half the teams in the draft will end up with the Georgia Bulldogs. So I have 50-50 shot. Flip a coin. I, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest. But, Connor, thank you so much for your time, sir. Thanks, guys. We'll see you, we'll see you later. If, uh, if the Steelers do, in fact, uh, draft a Georgia Bulldog, might have to bring him back on, Mr. Benedict. But, uh, I mean, the first thing that kind of pops to my mind there, and one of the last players we talked about, uh, was James Cook. Uh, the Steelers could use a running back number two. They really, really could. Uh, will they go chase one? Uh, it remains to be seen. 
But uh, I feel like that kind of that would be the perfect yin to Najee Harris's yeah. yang. By the way, happy birthday, Najee Harris turns twenty four today. Time of the recording, of course, uh, March 9th. But uh, Jeffrey, do, do you think the Steelers need to chase that RB two? And would Cook be a, a good option? I think he's he's the type. I think he's a good show of the type of player. I think there's several other options that match that uh, in this draft class. So he would he could definitely end up being a Pittsburgh Steeler, and I think don't think that would be a bad move for the Steelers at all. And I do agree. They need that kind of a player. Someone Najee can, I mean, he's great on screens and it's a great balance to his running game. And he can, he, he can line up and run like a little slant and stuff, but it'd be nice to have someone who is a big play threat as a receiver uh, out of the backfield and can go out and be like a legitimate runner out there. Even a guy you could put a two back system in where you put him in like kind of the slot wing back position, let him run some interesting routes and run some interesting run plays, stuff like that. Get creative with it. We definitely use a guy like that. All right. This comes in from Sean Manahan. Puts $5 in the tip jar. Excuse me. Oh, there's two. As you fix the uh, the picture frame there, we saw that in the live chat, driving people nuts. But anyway, Sean Manahan, $5 <laughs> in the tip jar. Wishing Najee Harris a happy birthday. And yes, we absolutely need a good RB2. Couldn't agree more. But uh, the things you need to do first is fix your offensive line. And rumors from ESPN, seems like the Pittsburgh Steelers are very much interested in doing just that. And man, it warms my heart. Uh, they were listed as uh, players for Ryan Jensen, for Lakin Tomlinson, who I know you love. Uh, Austin Corbett was also included in that article. Uh, a number of players, a number of players. What the heck? The Pittsburgh Steelers are in on a ton of rumors. First of all, how do you feel about them actually targeting offensive linemen? Because I know a week ago, we we're talking about like, oh man, I feel like they're not actually going to chase anyone here. Now it seems like they are. So crisis averted for for now. Um, <laughs> I, I can sleep at night for now. Um, Defcon, we're down to Defcon three now on the offensive exactly. line. So they're chasing offensive <laughs> linemen. That's great. Past that, however, they're involved in a lot of rumors. This is new territory. So if you could speak on both those things, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. Well, I think I think mostly it's the Steelers have options and like they do with the draft every year like you you hear mike tomlin loves 87 players in every combine class he's talking to all these people everybody loves mike tomlin mike tomlin loves everybody and and as everyone's like oh the steelers want to draft like these 20 players in the first round well that's because they're doing their due diligence they're finding out about everybody just because they're talking about somebody just because they're looking into what it would cost to acquire them if that player's interested what kind of you know Interest there is on on the agent side, on the team side, all the different aspects of it doesn't mean that's their play, right? That doesn't mean like Steelers are throwing all their eggs into this basket and this is the guy they really, really want. It just means, no, they're checking on literally everyone. And the way Mike Tomlin does that, when Mike Tomlin liked Lamar Jackson, it was like bromance kind of thing. Him and Aaron Rodgers, you know, that's how Mike Tomlin does it. Mike Tomlin comes out very real and friendly, and he everyone loves him, right? All the players like Mike Tomlin. So I can see why people would be like, whoa, Mike Tomlin really likes this guy. They're really after him, all this stuff. But we're only drafting one player in the first round, right? We're only drafting so many players, and we're going to sign a few free agents. The number of free agents the Steelers are linked to. Like, you Insanity. could build a whole team. You could do the Pittsburgh Steelers free agent offseason list, and it'd make a full team of players. Like, it's that many people uh so i think it's mostly i think it's mostly them doing due diligence and some of these players may end up being stealers but it may be one like we may have we may have 20 names and it ends up one of them gets signed or that doesn't even work out and we get none of them i wanted to on the offensive line i wanted to throw something to you michael 
I got asked this by someone on Twitter, right? They asked, what about signing a guy like a Nick Martin? Was a center, was a starter for Houston, was pretty good, and then was signed to be a backup for the Raiders, played six total snaps all season as they're off as the interior of their line stayed healthy, right? You sign a guy like that to compete with Kendrick Green to be your starter and be meh, good enough, like low t- lower tier of the NFL starting centers. But that leaves you open to draft a Tyler Linderbaum. That leaves you open to address a right guard or, or a right tackler or something like that. Uh, how would you view that move? Because that, to me, smells like a Steelers-style move. Bringing someone to compete with Kendrick Green – don't give up on him. Give Kevin still a chance. But bring in someone with starter experience who could be like the Doug Ligurski of the, you know, or like the, you know, like the weak link on the offense at center, but can play the position and do the actual job. Oh, this is tough. I, honestly, I probably wouldn't like the move unless the Steelers somehow, by grace of God, had Tyler Linderbaum fall in their lap and they make the move. Um, to me, this the level of center play is nowhere near what it needs to be. Like yeah. Mason Rudolph already is his biggest issue is pocket awareness and having your center getting dumped on your lap after he rockets a snap 20 feet over your head. That's not good. Like that yeah. is, that is the, the difference of the Steelers probably losing more than half their games at minimum next year. If that's the case, um, I am not less than average shouldn't be what you strive for at offensive line play. I, I wouldn't want to waste a million bucks. I know, I know it in salary cap terms, it means almost nothing, but to me, that still isn't good enough. If they can't get a Jensen, that's fine. Then you go after a Ben Jones. If you can't do that, like to me, the perfect situation is you find someone that is capable of playing guard. And if that center that we all love falls in your lap, you take them, you flip that center, you play him at guard, go play football. It, it's great. That is the perfect situation is that going to happen probably not the Steelers could land a a Ryan Jensen and Lakin Thompson okay now all of a sudden you don't have to worry about using your first round pick on the offensive line things are different now now you can go play football and and you can go go out and get the best player available on the board you can go get your Nakobe Dean or whoever you know so for me I want the Steelers they don't necessarily have to be the big game hunters of free agency I just want them to find better than average for their offensive line. Okay. That means Najee Harris is going to be better. That means Mason Rudolph will have more of a chance. Uh, and that's all we can really wish for is to give these guys a chance and see what they can do in the scheme, which I, I don't know if we've seen that yet from these guys. Now, uh, kind of continuing uh, mentioning quarterbacks, uh, it's, it's been a bit of an interesting week, I think you could say, yeah. uh, for the quarterback position. Yeah. Uh, things kind of got shook up a little bit. Aaron Rodgers staying in Green Bay. Does he have a contract? Does he not? It doesn't seem like anyone knows, but regardless, he'll be a Packer in 2022. Russell Wilson gets traded to the Denver Broncos. Hmm, that changes things a little bit. Sure, doesn't it? Um, But all these moves, um, does this worry you about what the Pittsburgh Steelers do? Of course, I'm forgetting the biggest one of all, Carson Wentz getting dealt to the Washington Commanders. But uh, yeah, this quarterback market is moving fast. Uh, All of a sudden, the Colts are looking for a quarterback, and so are the Seahawks. Uh, just because teams acquired a quarterback doesn't mean the original team is uh, a-okay at their own QB position. So what does this mean for the Steelers? Other teams are making moves. The Steelers are sitting on their hands. I think I think we're seeing teams that are kind of in that middle part of the first round saying we can get a quarterback in the draft. We can get a quarterback other ways. Whereas you're seeing like 
some teams that are a little higher up in the draft, a little a little worse situation being like, you know what, we don't we're not gonna gamble on getting a starter in this draft. We're gonna go get one. I think it speaks a lot to the quarterback talent we're seeing in this class, where you've got some good starters, you've got some guys that can play in the NFL, but they might not be worth a top 10 pick, right? They're not those guys. So you don't and, and they're not the most, you're not gonna have the most confidence that they're gonna come in and, and really turn your your program around. So it's interesting to me. I, it's weird to me because Seattle, at the same time, you know, we're hearing they're in on other quarterbacks, and it's like you're you're unloading talent. Like you just you ditch Bobby Wagner, you ditch Russell Wilson for a bunch of draft picks. Like sounds like you're in for a rebuild, and then you're they're they're talking about getting veterans. I I don't know where all of these things stand, but what I think we're gonna see is this quarterback. Like you said, the quarterback movement is kind of crazy. This is a league that is quarterback crazy right now. This NFL draft, quarterbacks are going to get overdrafted. That The free agent quarterbacks are going to be overvalued. The trades, all this stuff. To me, that smells like a year the Steelers sit out and say, you know what? Yeah. We're not going to we're not going to overcommit. We're not going to overdraft. We're not going to we're not going to be stupid. We're not going to be stupid just to get a quarterback just because, you know, we need one, so therefore we have to go get one. I, I this is why you have a Mason Rudolph. This is why you have that guy. So you can sit there and say, you know what? No, we're we're going to go into 2022 with Mason Rudolph as a quarterback and see how it goes. And we'll we'll pick up players who fall. We'll pick up a Tyler Linderbaum. We'll pick up, heck, a Jordan Davis. We'll pick up a, you know, Quay Wog. We'll pick up someone who falls that shouldn't be there because That's of that. perfect move. And, what, and, and speaking of that, with, with the draft, like, like, Everything we're seeing with the draft right now and the kind of movement we're seeing in mock drafts and everything, I think we are seeing signs that this draft class, uh, we're going to see an NFL draft that shocks a lot of people. We're going to see players picked in positions that no one expects them to be picked at. Mm -hmm. Oh, this guy's around too early. That guy fell really far. Because we're all reacting. We're all reacting to the combine. We're all jumping around, doing all this stuff. NFL teams, most of them aren't. Most of them already know where they guys are. Uh, I think a great a great name on this is a guy we talked about from Georgia, George Pickens. One of the better deep threats in this draft class while you're playing football, right? When it's an actual football game, George Pickens is one of the better deep threats in this class. When we get to the combine and you're in shorts and you're running 40 yards in a straight line, he ran a 447. Oh my goodness, can he like can he run past someone? Can he get open? I don't know. Everyone else is running four threes, you know. He's slow. Now he's all of a sudden, he's, is he a possession guy, right? Well, what, one of the things, I, I I made a Twitter post on this, but, like, if you look at the top ten players for, for total yards gained this season on downfield passes, right, 15 yards past the line of scrimmage or more, there's two players with a sub 4-4. Four four. There's three players over 4-5, right, and most of them are in the 4-4 four four range. And there's not a single player over six foot one running a sub four four on that list. And we've got all these guys that are like, oh, look at how fast he is. He's tall, he's fast, and he's gonna be unstoppable. Is he? Are they gonna work out? Uh to me, there's signs that a guy like a George Pickens could fall. There are some players who are going to fall because people are going to look at numbers that aren't as important, and they're gonna overdraft players. And there's going to be good players who fall. Just like this year, 
everyone's paying attention to quarterbacks. Some good players are going to fall through the cracks. And the Steelers can – that's where the Steelers are going to make their money this year. And that's what I'm looking for is where the Steelers get value against the the mock draft world, against the, the movement, against the combine, everything like that. When they go counter to the the, the flow of, of overreaction, what do they end up with? And I think this could be a very good year for that. Yeah, really. This is a draft class as well that I think is weaker than what we've seen in recent years. Uh, and I think the ideal situation is you take the player that wasn't supposed to make it to 20. Uh, you just take the best players you possibly can. Yeah. And you mentioned the, the Steelers sitting back and being out of the quarterback thing. I, I kind of expect it, really. The the news from Steelers insider Jerry Jerbear Dulac uh, reporting uh, the Steelers are completely out on Deshaun Watson, especially with all his legal stuff. I'm not surprised by that. Um, that, that just won't happen. Um, Mitch Trubisky, um, the rumor there is he's going to get a massive offer from the New York Giants to compete with Daniel Jones. I don't want to get in a bidding war over Mitch Trubisky. That seems ridiculous. Uh, Jameis Winston has some – well, he had some love from the Washington Commanders and uh, some more love to stay in New Orleans. So I could I could see that happening. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, I don't know. Is that who you want to spend a bunch of money on? To me, the answer is heck no. Uh, Marcus Mariota, I think he made like 10 million bucks last season. Is that what you want to chase? Is the answer still no for me. Like that's, that's too much money for these guys uh, to not give you too much more than what Mason Rudolph is going to give you. And I, like that's kind of just the fact of the matter right now. But well, I'm like, gonna, I'm this... gonna real quick jump in there with two names that I've, that I keep bringing up that I Jacoby think Brissett. the Steelers – Jacoby Brissett and Tyrod Taylor, they're going to be cheap. They're going to be cheap compared to these other guys who are going to get in bidding wars. Like Mitchell Trubisky bidding war? Come on. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? If he gets $8 million, what, what's wrong with you? What are you doing, right? Uh, and, I, and you could get a guy who, in a Matt Canada system, could give you good enough results for way cheaper without nearly the long-term investment, a guy that you can bring in for a year and, and then get someone better or bring him in for two years and draft your guy next year and have that veteran who knows the system be there and teach him. you know, who's not actually in this thinking they're going to be a long-term starter. That's where I think the Steelers go with this. And it's, it, it's still holding up with all this crazy quarterback movement. I, that's kind of your option. That's kind of the good options. Now, before we run out of time here, there were two or one quarterback that was linked to the Steelers from Jason Lock and Fora today, and another that is also believed to still potentially be on the trade market. Uh, that, first of all, being uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, actually having his name tied to the Steelers, that and the Indianapolis Colts uh, seem to be the two teams that are snooping around on Jimmy G. The other available quarterback uh, is Kirk Cousins. Um, I, I think those are two names that probably don't get Steeler fans excited. Um, wouldn't get me too excited either unless the cost, cost of acquisition was nothing and the teams held most of their money. Uh, but uh, what are your thoughts on either of those two names? And since there's been so much quarterback movement, do you expect a, a move to be made there within the next week before free agency? Uh, I, don't, I don't want a Kirk Cousins. We are not that offense. We're not built to be that offense uh, that he thrives in. Um, and I, I'm still out on Jimmy G. Like, we want to run a similar offense to what Jimmy G was running, but that San Francisco offense is an absolute machine. They've got an offensive, they had an offensive line. They had the best tight end in football. They had multiple good running backs. They had one of the best minds for that scheme in the game. 
I like Matt Canada, but the best offensive coordinators for any scheme end up head coaches, and that's what they have in San Fran. So that offense is like a juggernaut. You got Debo Samuel. Yeah, like 10 yards per reception of yards after the catch. 10. They made average 10 yards after he caught the football. That's how a quarterback looks good. That's how Jimmy G looks good, is he's in a system that just asks him to make simple plays. You don't have to be good. I don't want Jimmy Garoppolo because I don't think you're going to get what San Francisco got from him because it was the perfect system for him, and we're running going to be running a less good version of it. And he wasn't good enough to get them over the hump. Right? He's not good enough to put them all the way up. I, I don't, I don't, mm, I, I don't, I'm not buying him. So we are full steam ahead here, um, almost at the, uh, the legal tampering window um, where a lot of deals are uh, figured out. A bunch of teams are signing their own players. We're almost at free agency itself. It, it is on our doorstep and things are about to get nuts. The Steelers haven't made a single move yet this offseason. They haven't re-signed anyone. Uh, they didn't offer franchise tagged anyone. They haven't done nothing. They have not done a thing. What is the first move these Pittsburgh Steelers make? I, I do believe we talked about it last week when you posed a question to me. But um, now, as we sit here, uh, the quarterback market's already red hot. Uh, do the Steelers get into that? Do they uh, re-sign one of their own? Uh, do they get linked uh, with some crazy uh, tightness to a, a free agent? What's, what's the first move you actually see here? The move I think ends up being their first move, and you're not you're not going to like this, is uh, I, I think it's a core of four. I think it's Chukwuma core of four is re-signed. I think that's their opening move. Uh, <laughs> because, because, again, he's your swing tackle, right? In an ideal world, he's a swing tackle, but he's also a guy who has now a couple seasons of starter experience, right? So he's good, but he's not – I don't think he's going to be high on the free agent market. Uh, some people seem to think he's going to get real money, but he's been a part of one of he's, – he's, for two seasons, he's been one of the starters on, like, one of the worst lines in football and yeah. hasn't stood out as good. Unless I mean, unless you're looking at him solely off, you know, games where he gets matched up with, with uh, Miles Garrett – uh, I don't know what you're looking at with him that's going to put him up in a high price. I think he's a deal that makes sense. Chukwuma Korofor is a guy you can sign to a reasonable contract and still upgrade the position with someone else if the opportunity comes. But again, he's a guy the Steelers can live with, and I think one of the moves the Steelers will make is keep some guys who have been in here, had some continuity, but also they they like to go into the draft with every position filled with someone they can live with as a starter. And then they go into the draft and you can upgrade it. So I, I think Shukumo Korfor makes a lot of sense from the Steelers mindset. Uh, I, I wouldn't react as much as if I wouldn't believe it, but I, it would be kind of Steelers like, uh, man, I yeah. would hate that move though. I would absolutely just be mad. Like I guess the perfect move in my eyes is they actually release Zach Banner and Joe Schobert. Um, which they haven't done yet, and we're very close to free agency. So what the heck's going on there? Uh, tons of linebackers are available. Uh, didn't even touch on the Tremaine Edmonds possible uh, deal with the Steelers potentially being a thing, but Tremaine Edmonds has taken a lot of steps back from his uh, freshman and sophomore season in the league. But nonetheless, oh, man, the Steelers signed Chooks a core for for their first move. Oof, that would be a, a collective groan from Steelers Nation. Now, before we say bye to everyone, though, Jeffrey Benedict, uh, what to, what to exactly do you want to plug for the people? 
Okay, I, I'm sorry I'm going to make us go over by, by a little bit here, but you mentioned Zach Banner. You wanted to cut Zach Banner. Zach Banner, my opinion, I, but I believe this very firmly, Zach Banner is not going to be cut before camp. His contract may be big, but they don't pay him a cent until week one. When Kevin Colbert says they want to see more from him, that doesn't mean he's their starter next season. That doesn't mean he's necessarily on the roster. What tells me with that is, He's going to be there when training camp starts. He's going to be there through training camp. He may be there for the preseason. He's going to be around. They're going to give him a chance to get back and see if he's that player. But I, I, I'm not willing to say he's on the team week one. But I definitely think he makes it to training camp as a Pittsburgh Steeler. Uh, that's my thoughts on him. As for what I want to plug tomorrow, our Vertex, Dave Schofield and I have been covering the players who are free agents for the Steelers. Uh, tomorrow is Ray Ray McLeod and what he brings as both a punt and kick returner. We get kind of really into the stats and numbers and details on him. If you want to see what kind of a punt returner and kick returner he is, what value he brings there, as well as what he brings as a receiver. Uh, so check that out tomorrow. That will be running. Now, I've also heard a rumor on Ray Ray McLeod that there's a lot of uh, potential suitors out there that are interested by his abilities as a special teamer and a depth receiver. So I guess uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens well, that's, with old. Ray that's Ray. one more player you don't get in a bidding war for. You don't. No, you don't get in a bidding war for Ray Ray McLeod. Absolutely freaking not. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is uh, time for the end of our show today. I need to remind each and every one of you to click over to BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Should be your one-stop shop for all things Pittsburgh Steelers. On top of that, if you're only watching on YouTube and Facebook, you're still only getting about a third of the story uh, wherever you get your podcasts from traditionally, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, you name it, what, whatever, what have you. Wherever you listen to those, just search behind the steel curtain doc, or just behind the steel curtain, and you will get uh, the entire family of BTSC podcasts at the tips of your finger. So on behalf of my co-host, Jeffrey Benedict, my name is Michael Beck. You've been watching The Curtain Call, and we'll see you guys next week.